Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Howdy, partners. It's season two, episode 37 of Drive-by Cinema. The podcast where we watch the movies and tell you all about them so you don't have to bother. Here is your host, Paul. Hi, everybody. It's episode 37. And I'm Rick. Paul, I get the feeling, not to bury the lead that you didn't like this film, but I think it's a welcome return to the science fiction genre. We've done quite a few art movies. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, sure, 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 sure. I do agree on that point. It is... Not full circle, but we're heading back towards areas like uh, seminal film Arrival, uh, very kind of hype film Annihilation that we looked on early in our movie review expedition. So yes, episode one, I want to say. Really, Although I can't recommend. I can't recommend people listen to it because the sound is terrible. Oh, still. It's there. It was, it's, it's, a, there. it's a record. It's there, like Stonehenge. Yes. I said you got you got a Stonehenge, and you have to you have to say, "Wow, that's really amazing," but it's not really, is it? I mean, <laughs> some weathered well, old stones that somebody's propped up and moved, admittedly, several several hundred miles. But yeah, they did bring them from Wales for reasons that aren't completely clear. That may or may not be to do with ethnic cleansing. But anyway, sorry. Go on. I mean, how did they lift them up? That's not that's not easy to explain, is it? They put little logs underneath them and roll them like anybody else, Richard. It's not. <laughs> it's not. They didn't lift them. I mean, who's why? Who said they lifted them? Well, lots of people. You have to lift them to get them upright, don't you? And At then the you tip them onto the some logs, and then take the log out from the front, like the Flintstones, and put it in the back. Feed it in the back. Right. Okay. It's like a Stone Age locomotive system, isn't it? Well, I've seen another guy just, I think they just dug a pit and like rolled it over the pit and then balanced it. You know, they did it all with very careful counterbalancing. What do you mean? They rolled it over a pit. How did they get it out of the pit once it fell in? They didn't. No, well, they make it tip in. So it it appends itself and writes itself into the pit. Imagine you build a pit. Imagine you build a pit. You make sure it's like, you know, Deep enough, yeah. And then you, you you bring your stone up yeah. on it and rolling it on your little logs like your crazy idea, Paul. And they push it out. <laughs> they they push it out of the edge of the pit, yeah. of the lip of the pit. And it falls in and sticks there. Well, they control it so that. They they put it so it's right in the middle, so it's balancing. Oh, just slowly hoist this twenty-seven ton stone <laughs> obelisk down. We need three more people on that side, I think. Yeah, go on. Anyway, yeah. you think at some point there's going to be a crisis reach? It's going to slip, isn't it, at an angle? Yeah, but it doesn't. And it just digs itself. In. Yeah, but I think it, it's probably they probably figured it. So out. So they put it in a pit, and then how do they get it out of the pit? They don't need. It's it, that's where it is now. In the pit, you know. Yeah, but you can't do that for 5,000 miles, can you? Or 500 miles. No, I'm assuming that all the journey, they rolled on the logs. Oh, so they did roll it on the fucking logs. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know. What's that shade shade that's fully asymmetrical? That wibbly-wobbly one? 
A gombok. Did they gombok it, baby? It kind of like pushed it so it kind of flipped on itself all the way from Wales to Somerset. Did they gombok it? They look like a bit like gomboks. They probably just gave it one gentle push and it just rolled all the way there, didn't it? Probably. We're out of our depth here anyway. Paul, what I meant to ask you was... Steady on. We've been watching art movies. Yes, yeah. And we've stopped watching art movies. Well, what is an art movie and what is not an art movie? Oh. What is art? Well, this is it, you see, because like Betty Blue came to fire for not being intellectual. But then, you know, I didn't think art, I thought good art was in of itself by being good art, by being good visual art, must be an intellectual endeavour and activity to, you know, precisely present, you know, a still life of a domestic scene. I thought the act of that creation, the act of making the audience realise what you're trying to present itself was in itself good art and good intellectual activity, but apparently not. Apparently, things looking good is anti-intellectual, to some people at least. I found that out. But that takes us no nearer to knowing what an art movie is. Well, and the broader question of what is art... Oh, hell, fine. Full stop. It seems to me art is anything that you do... That involves concrete in a negative space. Yes, I know, Richard, you, <laughs> you've expressed your opinions about physical art several hundred million times. Go on. I'll let, I'll let him finish, I'm sorry. But that was rude. I think, I think art is anything you do for which there is no other real intrinsic purpose other than in and of itself. Yeah. I, I'm inclined to agree with that. So what you're saying is anything that is pointless. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Are you, are you holding a placard saying defund the humanities whilst you're saying this, Richard? No, I think art is cool because you can do things that are wrong, which wouldn't otherwise be get right. done. Yes. Um, creative. When that, we say the word creative, we mean wrong, don't we? <laughs> but the, the the deficiency with this definition is that would mean that anything that does have a purpose can't be art. Mm. I think conceptual art. I think we where we're headed here. Conceptual visual art of the kind that, you know, challenges the nature of art can be done maybe once or twice for a few years. But I don't think you can keep doing that thing where you challenge what art is by doing art kind of thing. Well, people have done it and they're still doing it, but it's very hard for it to have any impact. You mean you can put a urinal in an art gallery once. If you do it twice or three times, you have a toilet. Not, not, not. <laughs> Conversely, like some would say that the opposite of art, in a way, is, is entertainment. Or uh, uh, Jolene would certainly say that in respect to married with children. Thank you, Jolene, for your forthright opinions that I haven't forgotten about. Go on, sorry, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> but that implies art can't be entertaining. I think that's definitely wrong. Right. Well, there we go. As you can tell, we, as you can tell, we don't have any corrections or omissions. So, uh, I think it's time for Paul's creative demo, which is which is the music. Here we go with the music. Now, Richard, sorry to interrupt. You were saying that it was quite easy to fake 
music. Yeah. And the idea is you play on the pentatonic scale, which is all the black keys, and therefore the three kind of chords. Instead of doing a proper That's chord, racist. you oh, yeah. do you do like a C and then the higher octave C is like a really simple, basic same note chord. And then just twit, twit, and then like I think it's C A and the one above A B C A and just B. Just noodle around there, yeah. And it, it yeah. And I took my music to the music teacher there who does create or has created computer game music. And he said, what? what? Yeah. Uh, I said, listen to this. Uh, he said, whoa. Because, uh, you know, as Richard may know, I've got maybe seven or eight pieces lined up ready to for, for drive-by cinema if we ever want to change in uh, musical intros. And it was like, one of them, he said, I, I said, you know, I've, you know, I said, I've got some music students. Some of them are like grade seven piano. Some of them do composition and some of them are completely novices. And I said, you know, can you tell them apart? And he mostly said, you know, all this is, you know, complete novice work. But there's one of them that he didn't say that to. And that was our outro or ending music. And he said, he said, this, he said, this, this has compositional structure, he said. You were playing him the one without the booze. With the booze, actually. With the booze. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. It is our our best work. Yeah. Yeah. It's Richard's Uh, uh, contributor there. He's the Paul McCartney (laughs) in the mix, you know. I write one line, John writes one line. John writes ten lines, I go home. (laughs) I was, my mouth was salivating there, waiting for a very complicated metaphor or allegory for filmmaking and how Prospect was just noodling around on the pentatonic scale of cinema. Oh, no, no, I was just... But that never came. Again, I'm not creative, Richard, you know, my thoughts. 2018 Prospect. 2018 Free. Free on Amazon Prime. Wow. So this is before lead actor got famous into Disney Plus Mandalorian. 2018, is that before The Mandalorian? Yeah, it probably is. Way before, yeah. yeah. Okay. As an ex-Disney employee, don't you get... I did. Again, Richard, we've had this conversation so many times. Like, your silver pass and your gold pass, they all fizzle out within about 12 months or 24 months of you leaving. Um, it depends also if you get like uh, a black mark or a red mark on your employment history. Well, let's not delve any further. I don't want to talk about Disney oh. Mafia. Mickey, <laughs> that squeaky little fucking gangster. He's a terror. What first attracted you to Prospect, Paul, as a, as a movie-going well, challenge? Do you know what? It looked like the kind of movie that we've been watching early on in Drive-By Cinema from its little thumbnail. It really does. On, on, it really on, does. Is it Netflix? No, it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Amazon Prime, which I've said, but you ignore it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stars Sophie Thatcher as a young space traveller called C. Now, what has Sophie Thatcher been in? Oh, yeah, that's right. She's been in Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett, which I haven't seen yet. Really? I think she's also in Yellow Jackets, which I also haven't seen yet, but, you know, it's making a bit of a splash at the moment. But she's pretty young. She can't have a very long career yet, can she? Uh, she was good. I enjoyed her. Who's she playing person. alongside, Richard? Well, mostly alongside Pedro Pascal of The Mandalorian, as we discussed. But that's not who she's with at the very start. She's with an actor playing her father, Jay Duplass, I believe his name is. Jay Duplass. Indeed. Jay Duplass. Brother of Mark Duplass. Ah, there we go. Wow. 
I'm supposed to know who Mark Duplass is. He's the brother of Jay Duplass. <laughs> no, you do know who Mark Duplass is. You, you do know who Mark Duplass is. This was you? written by Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell. It was directed by Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell. It, cinematography was by Zeke Earl, but not by Chris Caldwell. Mark Duplass is the guy in Creep. No way. Yeah, you remember it? Yeah. Mm. So, Sophie, or C, is a girl on a spaceship. She's got a Walkman with her. Yeah. It's a popular thing these days after Guardians of the Galaxy is old-fashioned Walkmans in space. If you were travelling in space, boredom would be a big deal, wouldn't it? You'd have to have something to entertain you. You would. I mean, you could have Wordle, but that only takes five minutes a day, doesn't it? You could have Worldle. Yeah, but there's only... what? How many countries are there? Not like many. 200 or something? 200. Also, you don't like the Numble, do you? Not a fan, are you, Richard? I don't like Numble. It's Bidmus, just because it's- it's Bodmas ambiguity is frustrating. I'll certainly admit that. <laughs> Oh really? Does it get it wrong? No, it just it has no brackets. Therefore, <sighs> well, it's it's just the mass of the bodmass, isn't it? It is. But what most people don't realise is that division and multiplication come in the order that you find them. Division does not come before multiplication. It does, according to bodmass. No, they come together. But no, if you did left to right, if there's a division right of a multiplication, the multiplication comes first. It wouldn't matter, would it? If they're both next to each other. In that sense, all... it doesn't matter. You're correct. Yes. These days, it's ped mass, isn't it? They don't use bod mass anymore. Well, it's bid mass, at least. Bid mass? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was ped mass. Oh, it used to stand for others, including order. But now it stands for indices and others. I thought it was parentheses, exponentiation, division, multiplication, addition, subtraction. That is twatty. <laughs> okay. Richard, I, I feel we're diverging. You were making some good points and I've, I've pulled you away from them. What, what, what was it about? Oh, fashion uh, well, was in travel, if you were going to be bored. Sorry. Yeah, I was, pastimes. In the Time Life Encyclopedia I used to have about space travel, they imagined that in the future, to travel to distant stars or to do things in space, humans would have to have special drugs injected into them automatically. To slow down their metabolism. No, more just to give them pleasure when they're bored. Basically, they're advocating having heroin for astronauts all the time, I think. (laughs) So the... In inordinate boredom of being in vast featureless space uh, doesn't drive them mad. Instead, they just get addicted to, you know, an instant pleasure hit. Major Tom will be happy. I've got two things. Richard, I really don't have a lot to say about this movie. So can I just say my piece now and be, be, be done with it? What, you just want to, get, want to leave? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll come back in 25 minutes. Is that Okay. <laughs> I assume that I'm here, everybody. Right. First thing I'm going to say is when they open up, uh, they're on the they're on their pod or spaceship. I'm not sure which one they're on, uh, and it looks like she's sort of like uh, slumped against a corner of the waiting room in a local Laser Quest. 
She was writing in a book. Oh, okay. And she wasn't writing in English. No, she wasn't. She was squiggling. I, I thought, oh, God, the psychiatrist is going to come and see if she carries on doing that. Did you recognise the glyphs she was using? Was no. It a language or... What was it? No, I, I don't know. I, you're the philologist. It I wasn't... You might have... I thought it might be something like between Mongolia and uh, China... You get all those ancient languages. You know, like, I mean, the the most recent Chinese dynasty, the Qin. Uh, Qing, sorry. Uh, they they aren't really Chinese, so to speak, in, in, in you know, ethnographic terms. They're, they're Manchu people, yeah. Uh, and so, like, the Manchu alphabet is just really, really, really crazy and fascinating. I thought it might be that, but it's not. This is more like, this look more Arab-y. But there's some other stuff up there in between Mongolia and Manchu land, uh, which I thought it might be, but it's not. It's just completely made up gibberish, I think. So it could be Pittman shorthand. That was my other thought. It could be Pittman shorthand, but I don't think it is. Pittman shorthand is a lot lower and kind of more, you know, lines, lines, straight line, straight line, straight line, occasional dip kind of thing. If you've ever tried to learn it, you'll know what I mean. My mum used to know it. Of course, I mean, anyone working in an office would have, as a secretary would have had to have known it at one point. Mm. It's an amazing revolution in business that we've gone through in our lifetime, actually. All right, so girl and dad are on this spaceship. Yeah, not. They're not, right? They're not at Laser Quest. It just does look a bit like the ramp. You know, the sort of room where you sort of wait... <laughs> It looks a bit like that, the ramp up to where you enter into the misty bit with the dry ice. Are you complaining about the quality of their set dressing? Not really. Right, okay. $4 million, $4 million. They've done a lot of good with this. I think we reviewed, perhaps disparagingly on my part, and in, in hindsight, perhaps a little uncharitably, the movie Beyond or The Beyond, which was straight mm. from YouTube short film <laughs> yeah. to, to not Hollywood, but, you know. To, straight to streaming. <laughs> straight to streaming. And that that wasn't convincing. This was, I think, convincing set, very convincing cinematography by Bloat, what I've just said, who done it. Uh, and, you know, the world building, I thought, was convincing. Very convincing world building. Uh, but can I just say, I'm just saying, it, that first, it wasn't that it wasn't convincing. It just didn't look like what it was meant to look like. It looked like it didn't look like a spaceship. It looked like some sort of industrial zone oh, for well, teenagers. Yeah, but they're trying to have a future where everything's grubby and they're all it's like mining and industrial. This is really a western. Yes, they're being told on the tannoy that the big vessel that they're on, which is some kind of interstellar mm-hmm. ship, I think, they're told that the line is shutting down. And therefore, they need to get back for something they call the slingback, which I don't think is a shoe in this context. I think it must be slinging around the planet, yeah? Yeah, I think it's the the journey home. Although I have a problem with that, which I'll come back to a bit later, maybe. But the point of this is to put them on the clock, to give a little bit of tension to the, to the movie. They have to get back in a certain time. And... The girl see she puts it on her watch at some point so you can watch the countdown time. Uh, as the oh, movie progresses. I like to watch. I just got myself a smartwatch, actually. 
her, her dad is doing these eye drops, which I think are a kind of drug. Not sure. Yeah, because it knocks him out. And then I think she tries them as well. And her dad's also got one of those movie coughs, which normally means that he's going to die of a disease. I don't think he does die of a disease, does he? He dies of something else later. Right. So they've also got, and I'm not sure they've appeared yet, but they, they, they've got these guns, right, that aren't entirely convincing. It looks like they're taking hexagonal, hexagonal steel tubes and stuck them together. Ah, you didn't like the the art direction. As it were, wasn't too proper keen design on that. Okay, the, a lot of the design was done by uh, not role players but cos uh, cosplayers, what you call them. So, like, uh, and I think it needed a professional's touch. Like, have you watched like what's, what's it called? BBC Two Robot Wars, where they get robots to fight each other. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of it looks a bit like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That'd be fair. No, I don't think it would be fair. Oh. You, I, you can tell you didn't like this film. No, the guns, right? I just thought the guns. Although I do like your Western, it is, it is strongly like a film in the Western tradition, and therefore like slim, slim shooters would work. But literally, all they're doing is holding a tube of hexagonal tubing in that and going poo. I did, <laughs> I, I didn't really see that as convincing, Richard. To be honest with you, and I thought that was a cosplayer's fault rather than anybody else's. Look, well, he was—he chose this movie. Okay, he said, "Let me be leading this because I love the way the character speaks." And there is this kind of like Clint Eastwood-esque almost way that the dialogue is delivered, slow, deliberate. There's not a lot of wasted speech in this movie, but apparently, it was even more Shakespearean before it was toned down for what we see on the screen today. So that's interesting. I think and he chose it uh, for those reasons. Um, it's a strange choice. It's a very yeah, dated way of speaking that he's yes. got. It's like a period piece type. But he was the only one who was doing it. It's not like... <laughs> strange, wasn't it? He didn't so, make that up, though. He, he, that was actually on the, in the that script. That was in it. That was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's written. So Dad and Dolce, they land in their little landing pad thing. They're landing. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing, right? In a lot of sci-fi, of course, like this one, you you go down to a planet, in a little landing ship thing. And then the plan is to then take off later after they've done the job. Yeah. They're prospecting for some some stuff, which we'll come to in a bit, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Taking off from a planet is technologically a big deal, right? Well, it's gravity and all that shit. It's the most difficult thing about the moon, uh, the Apollo project, was getting a landing ship that was capable also of taking off again. Because you've got to carry all of the fuel that you need to land softly. Correct. Yeah. And all of the fuel you're going to need to get back up again. Uh, the the solution for the Apollo mission was that they had an orbital command module, which had the main sort of get back to Earth sort of engines on it. So they only had to take a fraction of the vessel down to the moon's surface. That How was- big are the gravity tides due to the Earth on the moon? Pretty big. There must be. Gravity tides. Well, yeah, I mean, we can see our gravity tides here because of water in our oceans, which, you know, so therefore their gravity tides must be... I think it's going to... Aren't they going to feel the same? It's mass times mass. Yeah, it's the same. Mass times mass, yeah. Wow. 
Uh, well, uh, but I think the moon does actually bulge or flex uh, in response to the Earth's tidal forces, interestingly enough. Hmm. Wow. I think it heats it up slightly. I'm not sure about that. But... Um, yeah, so, big deal that's kind of glossed over in a lot of science fiction. And again, I think it betrays the fact that there's... This isn't really sci-fi. This it's isn't really sci-fi, Western. Richard. This isn't even a Western, I would say. This is a movie where very, very little happens at all. And the pace isn't... I mean, there are some nice forest scenes, but there's not enough nice scenery to really take your time with the shots like what they do. Dune, you know, the latest Dune 2021... Take your it's time a, with it all because desert, it's, it's fucking beautifully shot, though. This okay, is nicely okay. shot, but it's not stunningly shot, is it? Uh, no. It's lots of intimate forest scenes, a couple of, uh, you know, vertical uh, vertical pans to, you know, overarching, really tall evergreens kind of stuff. They've got some floaty fungus stuff. It's an infected forest. That's why they're wearing masks. Yeah, they have to wear suits because there's poison everywhere. Some kind it's of a poisonous forest, a poison forest. But it's, I mean, for what happens, well, nothing happens. And in terms of prospecting, there's nothing pivotal about, it's not sci-fi, I'll tell you why. There's nothing pivotal about the technology or the methods that they use to go prospecting. They literally head off randomly, discover <laughs> the mother load, leave it, and then discover another one. Like... <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Well, it's not sci-fi, they, is it? When they land off course, she C checks the map to find out where they are. Uh, not clear how she knows where she is. Yeah. I mean, she just landed on an alien planet. She's got a map. I mean, if I <laughs> if I gave you a paper map of a planet and said, "Where have I have I just landed?" You might have trouble. I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what we should do? Paul, we should play. Have you ever played GeoGuessr? If you're going to say we're going to kick you out of an aeroplane, Paul, you're going to have to find your way home. Obviously, that's a good idea. It sounds I like have fancy. played GeoGuessr. Well, rather, I've suffered it with 16-year-old students who should be doing their business enterprise coursework. <laughs> okay. I was thinking you might like to help me do it. You know, we could do I'm it quite collaboratively. Good at it. A lot of people might assume that if you land on an alien planet, you pull out some kind of GPS device. Yeah. But of course, GPS relies on Earth satellites, you know, telling you where you are, and of a an almanac in the system that that knows where the satellites are supposed wait, to wait, be. Wait, 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 wait! No, you Richard, are. you don't need three three dimensional. You don't need three triangulating points in three D space, set an appropriate number of light years apart to triangulate anywhere in the universe. In principle, in I principle. think you need four. I think you need four in three you dimensions. Four. Don't you? you might have to wait a few light years to get the signal back. Yeah, uh, uh, and Problem. you wait years, not light years. Yeah, light year is a distance, not a time. I'm sorry. No, that's, you're in very good company, Paul. Of course, Han Solo makes the same mistake in Star Wars when he says that he does the Kessel Run in so many parsecs, which is a distance. The distance the light travels in a second. Uh, no, no, it's a parallax second, isn't it? But still. The distance, yeah. So he means in a second. It, who knows what the writer had in mind? Yeah, probably thought it was. Well, what I meant word. was, if you only have four points in the entire universe, you're going to have to wait the the time it takes 
time to travel that distance there and back. Yes, you're going to need some local satellites to do this job for you. Yes. So unless you put satellites around every world you plan to go to, alien GPS won't be a thing, will it? Well, I think reasonably, reasonably speaking, you could have it maybe one every ten solar systems. I mean, you wouldn't mind waiting two or three hours to find out where you were, would you? In a critical situation, two or three hours. Yeah, it it wouldn't be enough though, would it? You need you need widely separated, you know, angles to give yourself a good fix. Otherwise, you get a very enormous area of uncertainty, don't you? Mm-hmm. So you'd need to, yeah. Uh, I I don't think your uh, your interstellar GPS would work quite as well as you hope for. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm just telling you, in Dragon's Den, I'm out at this point. <laughs> well, when you, if you think about Dragon's Den, there's a big problem with it. Like, there's only there's only a couple of things that get wheeled in front of them. If someone has genuinely invented something, the first thing they'll say is, have you patented it? Yes. Now, if they've patented it by spending the money you need to get patents in multiple jurisdictions, why the fuck do they need the dragons? They've already spent the money. If they haven't patented it, then... The dragons say, you're not patented it, it's not worth anything. Exactly. And then the other thing that they get are people coming up with distribution deals Oh, we've got the exclusive distribution rights to the UK for this XYZ widget. So it's an idea somebody else has had and is already selling in the US or in China or somewhere. And now they're coming to the Dragon's Den saying, hey, let's sell this in the UK. And the Dragons, being the big-headed fuckwits that they are, are not really interested in like a regional deal. I mean, they might be if if it looks like a really big thing that's going to sell in in their retail outlets or on their websites. They might yes. take it on. Board. Inflatable wheelbarrows that can be used in children's suitcases, for example. <laughs> <laughs> in the colour pink. So there's a very, very narrow range of projects and ideas that the dragons will be interested in. And they're not interesting ideas to me. You know, the, it's just ghoulish nonsense. And ego wank for the... These people who happen to have made it big with their random business ideas, but not. I them. had some ideas for Dragon's Den. Can I hear them? Okay. All right, don't sound too enthusiastic, Richard. First one was like, you know, when you go to the, G- uh, the beach and it's really hot. Yeah. I was thinking like some trunks or swimming causes with like uh, inbuilt fans. <laughs> what? Nothing. Yeah, okay. Fans, yeah. So, like, you know, fan pants. So you can like, pants, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The other one was, do you know how, like, this maybe is outdated now, there's actually better methods for painting your house. Unlike fan pants, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, fan pants come more and more in date, don't they, because of global warming. We'll all need them, really, won't we? Beach yeah. or no beach. I thought it was a good yeah. idea, fan pants. It's a good idea, yeah. Yeah, carry on. So, <laughs> the next one I thought was quite good. It's like, uh, like, do you know, like, you can get those cars that, like, will go, will ascend walls vertically, little toy cars. Yes, with a little vacuum cleaner in them. Yeah, is that what it is? Well, I was thinking that, but, <laughs> but, but with painting, so it paints your walls for you as it goes up the wall. As it goes yeah. up the wall. Yeah, I mean, I can see that working. Yeah, 
I had two other ideas, but they weren't as good. Richard, you had a better idea. Richard had a really good idea that he's not pursued, which is, you know how you get, you know how you got so much stuff in your freezer? Like, I've got, like, his Marks and Sparks' bag that I put my vegetables in. I've got, like, a bag, a Sainsbury's uh, carrier bag that I put all my meetings kind of stuff. And it's not a good way, like, you know, they, to get one of the big bags out, you've got to pull the other big bags out. Richard said no. He had a really good idea, which was freezer fishing lines. So you clip your fishing line to your food, throw it in there, and you label it. There's a little, little label you can label stuff with at the end of the fishing line. And the fishing line just, the fishing line just hangs outside the lip of your freezer. <laughs> and you can just tug at it and pull the food that you want out. It's brilliant, Rich. Well, I don't remember having that idea, but if I it's did, fast. that was brilliant. Anyway, sorry, you're driving. I'm a driver. Yeah, go on. And you know when you're driving. Yeah, I do. Go on. Someone might want to contact you. Now, it could be someone has seen you and wants to say hello. They oh. want to compliment you on your driving. Or it could be that you've got a parking ticket. It does happen. Oh, I have one the other month. Go on. Well, you've, you've, at you've the moment. Arouse my interest. The commonplace way of dealing with this is for someone to put... He's he's, he's a master salesman, isn't he? He's really contextualised this for me. Someone someone might put something under your windscreen wiper blade, might they? They might put a leaflet under your windscreen wiper blade. Oh, I've heard this idea. It's a good idea. Or, if it's in the case of a parking ticket, they'll stick something to your windscreen. What we need instead... (laughs) Drum roll. Silence. Letterboxes for cars. Letterboxes cars. I mean, this Imagine. is just an extension of the Austin Allegro Van Damme Plan idea, isn't it? Yes, because you could have like a door knockers, everything, door yeah. knockers. Well, you're walnut. I think you've Letterbox. hit on the, the the brilliance of this idea, and one of the reasons why the dragons would be interested in this, of course, which is not only is there an aftermarket. Like, go to Halfords and have your letterbox fitted. <laughs> Market for this. Or taken out, as the case may be. Double double business here. Sure, yeah. Some people might be tired of them. But, because you might get junk mail, might you? I suppose that's the downside. But, you can also do deals with the vehicle manufacturers to have them installed oh. in a brand new vehicle. It's like a Windows 10 kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Not a Windows, letterbox. That's 10. right. Imagine a letterbox comes standard. Should be as standard as having a cassette player in a car. Shouldn't what it? you could do is like James Bond style, where the letterbox becomes a number plate kind of thing. Like you know the oh. twisty round number plates that James. That's Bond clever. Had. Yeah, it could act like a flap. Couldn't it? None of this solves a problem. Why? Why in the seventies did we call cars gear? G H I A and Vandam Plas or Pla? V A N D A. You asked that in the last episode. No, no one is responding now. Why Vandam Pla or Plas? What the hell is... What's, it's not made... It's a, I mean, it's a made-up word, Rich. It doesn't exist, Vandam Pla. What does it mean? <laughs> you know what it means. It means like a really sort of over... over-granddaddied Austin Allegro, doesn't it? Vandam Pla. Paul, what, what the, the hell are they prospecting about? for on this planet? Right, okay. So, do you remember Cocoon, the movie? Yes. Well, there's like a bunch of alien eggs and they all land up in a senior's... Uh, OAP senior citizen's home. And rejuvenates them. Hatch in the swimming pool. It's a bit like that. They're searching for those things. But, like, there's a big sort of... um, There's a big sort of a mother tentacle thing. I don't know, a central brain intelligence thing that's that's hoarding them. And, you know, the hive, I guess you'd call it in Ocado terms. And they've got to dig deep into her woomy belly things and not anger her. 
when they cut them out or something. There's some umbilical cord thing that needs, needs to be done gently. There's skill involved in this prospecting. Yeah, so they pull out a giant white sperm thing. And it's then they translucent and jellyish and quite nice. Quite, I thought this was okay effects. They cut it off by the tail and put it on a little tray. And then they cut it open and there's a, a meaty thing inside. Ah. And they keep what, that bit. Now then they cut that bit open and eventually they find this like gem inside like this. That's right. Then they take that. Do you know do you know when you buy your expensive Bosch tool tools from, from B and Q? They put nine of them in the toolbox that your drill would have been sold in in a Bosch in you know your Bosch tool would have been sold in. But instead it's painted silver and made to look very futuristic. It's a pelican case, isn't it? That's the name of it. Is that is that what you call them? Pelican case? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There we go. It's called apparently Auralac, this stuff that we're looking for. And we don't really find out why they want it. But it's fabulously valuable and it's gonna make their father and daughter's sort of fortune if they can Did when they when the Mandal when they employed him for the Mandalorian, do you think they copied a large large elements or aspects of this movie along with employing him with this? No, almost no. none of it. Really? Because it doesn't make any sense, does it? Probably this doesn't make any sense now. All of that complicated process where they have to be really careful about extracting this and then cutting it open in a certain way so it doesn't dissolve the gem and then and then you have to be careful it doesn't explode and kill everyone in, you know, a ten foot area. All of this is to justify why her dad is like an, a sort of a key worker who's not easily to be replaced uh-huh. because he's got all these special skills about cutting into giant sperm with meat in them. Um, apparently it's very difficult. It, it does seem to be difficult because I don't think we actually... I think we only see it done once successfully in the whole movie. <laughs> surgeons. Surgeons' hands. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, you know, Explorer's Heart. I guess it would be, you know, like... It would be like finding a brain surgeon who's also a deep-sea diver in the modern world. I can accept that, except it's just not very convincing, the whole process, the way they've represented it. Yeah. So, while she's away from her dad... Two strangers show up. We're getting all Western again here, aren't we? One of them is Pedro Pascal. You can tell because he's got a big, quite open faceplate on his poison suit. And then there's another guy. You don't see his face and doesn't talk. Turns out they want to steal his stuff, his gems, and his ship. But he's not telling them about one of them, where the ship is or where the gems are. I can't remember. No, he bargains for his life by telling them of the location of a queen's lair, a uh-huh. rumoured, legendary area where there's loads of these things with loads of gems, a big Auralac deposit, unheard of. It's only been whispered about. Well, apparently he knows where it is. He's going to meet some mercenaries who are guarding it, but they can't extract the gems because only he can cut the sperm open properly. <laughs> And then he's going to do a deal with them. And uh, he's going to do a deal with them and sort of bargain for his life. Meanwhile, his daughter is hiding in the forest watching. So as he's being led away after doing this deal, she surprises him with a gun. And there's a, a brief standoff. Guns are pulled. She shoots Pedro a little bit. Dad and the mute guy die. And she gets Pedro in the shoulder. Um, 
And then she runs back. She runs back to the drop ship she came from, but it won't take off because That's it's broken. Right. That ship as well, it's filled with, I think, the same sort of sound effects you get in the Alien movie. You know, at the start of the Alien movie where all the computers turn on because yeah. uh, it's receiving the signal. And you, you see that, like, empty suit at, in on the bridge and all of the, the screen is, like, projected on its face. And it's going... <laughs> Pedro Pascal arrives, he's followed her. She shoots him. Um, and then she tries to get him to take them both to his ship. But then they have a chat. I think maybe he doesn't have a ship or it's broken. He doesn't have so, a ship, yeah. Then they go somewhere else. They go back to where his, her dad said they should go. Is that right? Yeah, because they've realised that's the only way off the ship now is through the Merc ship. Good job his dad wasn't bluffing then. There really is like a deposit of oil like there. And... It's also a good job that Pedro Pascal is another one of these sperm extractor guys. Otherwise, he wouldn't believe it. Otherwise, they'd have nothing to offer the Mercs. Oh, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, he can offer his skills, can he? So, so they, there's a tense moment where they meet the Mercs for the first time. Is that right? Eventually. First, they have to meet some guys who've gone native. One ah, of them played by Andre Rayo, who's from you. The Wire. Uh, and then the emo kid who... Uh, he plays like some weird instrument, harmonicordion or whatever it is. The tribe offers Aurelac for the girl, which That's doesn't right. seem seems because really she's a prophet or something. No, because they want to breed with her, don't they? They want they want their son. Well, to there's breed one dead, with her. isn't there? Yeah, that's the girl right. She was the, dead. Yeah. Interesting story. Uh, like I had a child, a friend, nine-year-old, ten-year-old. Uh, I think I was eleven or twelve when she was nine or ten. Anyway, they went on holiday to either Tunisia or Algeria, and uh, the locals offered a father four camels for it. <laughs> wow! What did he do? Hold out for five? <laughs> so yeah, so it was a diary offer, wasn't it? You know, for the for, for the girl to be handed over. Well, it didn't seem quite as convivial as that, did it? So yeah. she runs away. Um, she escapes and eventually she finds a tent with Pedro inside and ever since he got shot by her earlier in the film or shot by someone uh, his his arm is now festering because of the toxic air in this place oh that was a good scene actually I like this bit yeah so he's got to get her to amputate it It, it, this is the best scene in many ways so he's showing you how to use the special scalpels and knives that they use to cut into these spermy things. And he was expecting her, or I think he was surprised by how good she was. But she explains how, you know, she, she was a little girl. Her dad got her to crawl into some other kind of alien monstrosity to get stuff out. And she would have gore in her hair. So she's kind of like earthy, this girl, isn't it? She's, mm-hmm. she's a girl of the world, as it all the universe. Uh, so... They make their way eventually, Pedro with one arm left, they make their way to the mercenary camp where there are a bunch of these hard-bitten mercenaries, some female mercenary, who seems to like to play really loud music out of what we would have called a ghetto blaster at one point. Ukrainian music, strangely, from 1972, yeah, or there or thereabouts. How did you know that? It said so on, <laughs> on, some, on some reviews that I was reading. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it's very topical then. Uh, and there's also there's a couple of other mercenaries, and weirdly a guy in a cage. 
wasn't really explained why he was in a cage. I think they were leaving him there as some kind of punishment. He didn't say anything. They were, yes. Oh, he was dead already, wasn't he? No, because... Uh, Oh, I see. You didn't really watch to the end, did you, Paul? No. You you check out at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Was he pivotal? He kind of saves them. He kills one of the mercenaries as they're fighting with them. Obviously, this all goes wrong. I did really watch religiously, but I might have tapped out a few minutes from the end. What happens is, Pedro is going to try and extract the stones. Yeah. This very delicate operation. He's doing it one-armed, though. (laughs) Apparently, that's not an obstacle. Apparently, it is, because he can't do it. He fails a couple of times. I think the girl has to go, and she fails. There's loads of these spermy things around, though, so they're carrying on doing They're in the money, yeah. But then what they decide to do is, it doesn't look like the mercenaries are going to give them a lift back anyway. They claim there's no room on the ship. So what they're going to do is, instead, they're going to make these things blow up, as they want to do if you mishandle them, and get all the mercenaries with it. Uh, And they do that. It doesn't go quite to plan. They end up running away, running through the forest and stuff. Uh, ultimately, they kind of team up, work together, and kill the female mercenary. And there's this sort of moment at the end where Pedro is uh, like lying, dying, of being shot or whatever, and he's telling her, you know, it's just really a story, isn't it, about how Pedro and this girl wind up working together and getting on together after her father is dead, and perhaps and in some Pedro ways dies. he's treating her. Maybe better than uh, than his her father was in some ways. And then does Pedro die dies. Or, or do, does she get her on, him on the ship at the end? I don't know. Does it she matter? got supplies for him, didn't she? She went and got supplies for him. So, and the end of the movie, really? Yeah. Okay. The end. Yes. So it is a western. It's an exploratory western. I, for me, there are some parallels with Annihilation. In terms of the shots, mm. the kind mm. of uh, dusty, fungus-laden The air. wildlife stuff, yeah. And, you know, the fact they're exploring something that is uh, an intelligent hive uh, that kind of moves under the ground and through nature kind of thing. So there are some very vague parallels there. I did feel that the, in terms of the explorative way that they're just going to have to keep on questing, I thought there were some slight parallels in the way the Mandalorian is constructed in the way that we just we just move on from place to place in the Mandalorian. You know, he's never where he wants to be, is he? Whereas like in other Star Wars, like, okay, they get diverted, but then they head pretty back they head back pretty soon to where they were supposed to be. Whereas in the Mandalorian he's just completely lost all the time, isn't he? And I thought there's a slight parallel there. It's because there's no such thing as G- space GPS, Paul. That's- so I did like some aspects of the movie. I, I like the atmosphere. I like the world building. For a patch of forest and some pretty cheap uh, DIY set and uh, like the props are relatively convincing. I think the the set is fairly convincing, but the outside cinematography really helps with the world building. I just thought that maybe like they could have spent a bit more making the live pulsating pods a little more dramatic, you know, giving it a little more creative, dramatic license, a few more neon lights thrown down the wormhole kind of speak to make it just glow a little bit better. Some night shots, you know, and some glow worm lights to this whole alien thing would have really helped with atmosphere, I think. And just generally, I didn't think there were enough kind of 
There wasn't really enough sensitive lighting to indicate mood and intimacy. There weren't very many intimate moments in the movie. It was all kind of like mundane dialogue, uh, uh, useful dialogue in terms of the plot. I mean, there was no point where the dialogue left its function to help you understand what was going on in the story. So it was all very functional and useful. But yeah, I just thought maybe a little monotonal in its emotional range. But that's it. That's my only observations about the movie. Well, why don't you give it a score then, Paul? Go, go all out. Whew. Well, I was, I was, I was puzzled what character to, what categories to judge it under, because it is quite atmospheric and is quite artsy in a certain sort of way. I mean, we have to score it a sci-fi score, I think. We do, but I we don't do. think we can score it an effects and action score because there is very little of it. Well, there's people getting their arms cut off and goop coming out of stuff. Okay, we can do it then. Okay. Right, well, let's just score it traditionally as we do with our sci-fis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, plot. Yeah. I mean, it was a functional plot. There's a reason to be on the planet to get that stuff. Some difficulties occur. Difficulties present themselves. They have to go overcome that. And they use a certain amount of resilience, uh, insight, and uh, invention to do that. So, I mean... Uh, and there's quite a nice Western feel to it all as well in terms of the people that turn up and the way they shoot from the hip, all of them. So, yeah, I mean, as a plot, I'm going to score it a five. See, Maybe six. Six, look, six. This plot is bending over backwards to achieve what the writer wants, which is to force these two characters to work together and, you know, give them the appropriate kind of motivations and tools to achieve in the setup that he's envisaged. It's like maybe got, perhaps he came up with the sort of end bit of this film and had to work backwards from it. But it doesn't make any sense when you think about it. Mm. Right. These weird creatures with these crystal things in them. If they're, are they on lots of different planets? Oh, that's a good question. Because how would they know? How would it be? The, the, you're supposed to think that they're at the arse end of nowhere. Mm-hmm. They're at the end of the line, literally. The line is closing down. Why is the line shutting down if this planet is teeming with these extremely valuable things? And if how on earth are these creatures with these things in them on lots of different planets? It doesn't make any sense. Are all of them toxic? Do you need spacesuits everywhere? Why are these prospectors, like, skilled up to be able to extract them? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And you're right. I mean, if we, if this was to be, like, let's go back 200 years and say this is 100 years and 50 years, 150 years, Californian gold rush. Okay. Uh, let, let's make this a gold rush movie. Then there'd be something pivotal, either in the way that I prospect, maybe in, you know, a new kind of machinery that I use to you know, sieve the gold more effectively. Or maybe I've got some sort of way of doing a geological survey to find better prospects than other people kind of thing. Or maybe you gonna, know how to use dynamite to Maybe I know how to use dynamite, okay. Or maybe I steal some dynamite. Or somebody steals my dynamite or that kind of thing. There'd be some, if, if it's not sci-fi, but sci-history, it, you know, the technology would be pivotable, pivotal in the plot. I mean... And it's just not. There's, there's, there aren't those moments where anything matters in how they do it, and it's just such a blur 
I thought, in that respect. So I forgot about that. The score was six. It's now five again. Sorry, Richard. Continue. I'll go. I'll give it a five, but only, only because of the emotional story and the link, the connection between the two characters. Right. Which is what it's really all about. It's not a sci-fi or even a Western, but it is about those two. It's a very slow Western if it's a Western. Like, okay, so let's get on to characterization and acting, which I think was stronger. I do think that you see how they need each other and how it's a compromise, really, particularly for the younger girl. I mean, he, this bloke's killed her dad kind of thing. Well, I don't think... Was it him that killed it? Oh, yeah, it was. I think he, he kind of apologises. He says, yeah, it. no hard feelings, you know. Just had to had to survive kind of thing. Uh, and I thought that awkwardness and the way that she fights against maybe her better emotions to work with him in order to survive. I thought she portrayed that quite well. Generally, of course, he's a strong actor. I think, is he at this point playing on his star factor? No. Was he well known at this point? Not really. I don't know. I think they were both great, yeah. The only weak points were the mercenaries at the end who were a bit caricature-y. They, they were, were a bit like ever comic so slightly, villains. Ever so slightly carry on with it all. Ever so slightly hammed up. So, I will um, give it a an eight. I, I was going to go seven, but then I'm going to still go seven. Now you're not going seven, yeah. <laughs> Good, okay, sci-fi, Richard. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's cool to see rocket ships and weird ray guns and an alien planet and people wearing spacesuits and poisonous dust. But the science doesn't really hold together. So I'll give it a six. Yeah, I mean, we, they mentioned slingshotting around a planet. Uh, oh, I, I like the way you mark you mark their work. You get a point for that, do they? Tick. <laughs> they mentioned slingshotting around a planet, but we never saw them slingshotting around. No, a we didn't. No. Uh, we didn't see a jump into hyperspace or anything like that, or anything time traveling. Made it back in time thanks to a smartwatch, Galaxy smartwatch. Uh, there's kind of like you know, tales from the loop. I think we watched it. The TV, the aesthetic of it all, the sci-fi aesthetic. I thought was fairly pleasing, which is Robot Wars with Tales from the Loop all kind of mixed up in a blender that can mix metal things. And somehow it comes out looking a bit too much like your local Laser Quest. Uh, that wasn't convincing. I don't, you know, the internals of the ships and the pods. Uh, but for me, what was most disappointing is, you know, there's nothing really about the way they harvest this stuff that requires it to be science fiction. They could be what be harvesting strawberries, you know what I mean? Or, or more likely <laughs> truffles in, in Italian forest. Truffles? There's, Desert, there's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a truffle movie, you know what I mean? That's all it is, but in a truffle weird location. Truffle hunting in space. Truffle hunting in space, yeah. It's like a place like from the Muppets. Or something. Uh, <laughs> so, three. Oh. Harsh. So, uh, do we do the the action special effects? Yeah, we did. Yeah. The special effects are decent, Paul. Especially for four million or whatever it was. I thought it was pretty good. I love the sound design. I'll give it a seven. Okay, then I have to upscore the beyond if I'm going to be nice to this, don't I? Because no, you they don't. Did, they did that on forty thousand pounds, Richard. Oh, no. okay. Okay. Look, much cheaper. Yeah. This whole movie is based on a fifteen-minute short YouTube short. Is it? Oh, that yes. explains quite a lot, doesn't it? And unfortunately, they haven't padded it out. 
It's still a 15-minute <laughs> no, movie. Padding it out is what exactly what they've done. But they have been <laughs> rather a like lot of really slow shots and very little dialogue, you know. Uh, you know, ponderous three-minute crawls through a forest. Just... Hey, don't forget, there's a bit where they find some forest anuses. <laughs> there is. Look, and they stick their hands in there. Commando and uh, Rambo. Two mid eighties movies. They Which were spoiled by the this. bits where, like, oh. they'd shoot, they'd shoot uh, Sylvester like walking up a ravine, yeah. and then they'd have another thirty seconds walking over the other side. You know, not necessary. It's like, come on, just get to the action. This movie had minutes and minutes and minutes of them just traipsing really slowly through a forest with bits of dust in the air. And for me, that was unforgivable. I didn't forgive him. It's patchy, but the effects are good. <sighs> Cutting through the bone and the flesh was really, really effective. It was really gruesome, but suggested, not, but not not depicted. But really well done. I felt uncomfortable, and it was like, oh god, I can't listen to that. It was really well done without being too gory. Uh, and you know, the fight scenes were okay. I'm going to score it a four. Oh, oh well. Look, overall, then, I mean, it's interesting. It's not brilliant. I think a six is fair. I knew you'd go for a six. I'm going for a four. Not a recommend from me. Don't waste your time with this one. Oh. <laughs> okay, then. Paul. I have a suggestion for the movie. I'm going to stick with a made-for-streaming film. Wow. Low budget again? Not sure what the budget is. 120 it's... million. Gigantic. It's... <laughs> Well, so you're telegraphing, you already know. It's the Ryan Reynolds wow. Netflix movie. No way. The Adam Project. Uh, the Adam Project. Wow, 2021, I think, or something like that. 22? Yeah, it's brand new. It's this year. It's a biggie. Netflix, it's one of their biggest releases this year, I think. And, uh, you know, he's he's a thing of the moment, isn't he? So He is a thing of the moment. <laughs> Uh, so that'll be. I don't, I don't know what Fred was trying to say there. That will be the movie next week. The Adam yeah. Project on Netflix. Until okay. then. Until then. Until the next one. Ciao for now. Goodbye. Thank you.